What's going on, everybody? It's your boy B-Date, back for another podcast episode. And this one, we're talking about the Phoenix Suns, Adam and I. Um, at the time of recording, we recorded on, I believe it was Tuesday night. Um, so you hear us talking about the Timberwolves game that the Suns played, and we re- refer to it as tonight. They uh, actually finished up a back-to-back last night against the Denver Nuggets, and pull that one out in the fourth quarter like they always do. Um, this team's been amazing all year. And we really just break down, like, why is there this lack of crowning them as the champion like we did with the teams of past, like, that had great records, like we did with the Warriors in that time in that time frame, or like we did with the like the 2010 version of the Lakers and things like that. Like why why is there this hesitancy to say oh it's going to be the Suns plus whoever comes out of the East. Um so basically we talked about that. We talked about some of the favorite things we like to watch with Phoenix. Um and then of course at the end um we get into the second rendition of uh, Adam's game which we need a name for by the way. So any anyone out there who's a creative head um, and who really likes um, the segment, uh, feel free to DM me. Um, my Twitter handle is at BrandaMan23, B-R-A-N-D-A-M-A-N-2-3. Um, so feel free to DM me like if you have a name for that. Um, and I hope you guys enjoy like always. Thank you guys so much for the support. And I'll see you in the next one. everybody speed date back for another podcast episode as always i'm joined by adam adam what's going on man how you doing doing well man and and so we've kind of had a theme here the last couple episodes and talking about playoff teams and and where they fare as uh in relation to how far we think they can go where they have come from uh so today we're going to do that again but we're going to talk about what to me seems like almost the the juggernaut hiding in plain sight uh, that no one seems to really talk about. That's the Phoenix Suns. Um, at time of recording, it is 10 p.m. Central on Wednesday night. They just came back in the fourth quarter and beat the Minnesota Timberwolves, um, outscoring them 42 to 28 in the fourth and just doing what they do, win games. Um, they're up to a record now of 58 and 14. Uh, which is a full nine games better than the next best team in the Western Conference. Adam, the quest, the first question I have for you here is, why is there this hesitancy, maybe not from us, maybe not from our friend groups, but just nationally of not wanting to crown Phoenix as the clear favorite to win the whole thing when they've just been as dominant as they have been all year? Yeah, so I, I don't know if it's so much hesitancy as, as much as they're just not getting the buzz. Mm. And what I think that boils down to is that to a lot of the more casual fans, the people that aren't really hardcore basketball fans like we are, this one's are kind of boring. They're kind of a boring team to watch. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we said that about the San Antonio Spurs for years and years and years, and they were just – a juggernaut year in and year out. But when you watch Phoenix play, it's a lot of 
Devin Booker, isolation, mid-range jumpers. There's a good bit of Chris Paul, pick and roll mixed around. Um, you know, they're second to last in the NBA in assists per 100 possessions. So it's not a team that's really like got the ball moving around all over the place. Clean, crisp defensive rotations. Just very fundamentally solid. And they're not real flashy. And, and that's in a stark contrast to the other top two teams in the East, the, or I'm sorry, in the West, uh, where you have Steph Curry, who is just a human flamethrower, bombing threes all over the place. And you have John Morant, who's one of the most electrifying young guys in the NBA. Next to those teams, the Suns just aren't all that flashy. They're too busy being good. Yeah. Yeah. You make good points. Um, just to lay out some vitals on them real quick. Second in the league offensive rating, uh, second in the league defensive rating. They have the league leading net rating uh, at 8.4, a plus 8.4, which is just very, very good. Uh, I think the next highest team was six point something. So they have a comfortable lead in terms of first. And um, to your point about the whole boring thing and the fundamental part, assist to turnover ratio, they're second in the league. Um, only behind those San Antonio Spurs that you mentioned. Um, and, and all of those things just kind of culminate into the ingredients that make title winning teams. Um, it, I know I asked the question, where's the hesitancy come from? And I have just one half-baked theory. And I think it does come from the fact that last year they had so much fortune in terms of the injury luck. Um, Obviously, I know they were dealing with their own bit of injury, uh, injury things uh, in our series when we played them, Chris Paul's arm or shoulder or whatever it was. And then later in the finals, he, he re-aggravated uh, something with his leg. Um, but obviously, AD goes down first round. Second round, they don't have to see Jamal Murray. Um, and the third round, they don't have to see Kawhi Leonard. Um, so I think there, there was always the just the slightest pause on taking them as serious as we should do because of um, their, their route to the finals last year. But, but it, it's, it's clear to both of us, like this team has leveled up a full step from whatever it was last year. Um, I look at DeAndre Ayton tonight, 35 and 14 and a guy who I, I, I saw firsthand against uh, the Lakers last year in the playoffs he punishes switches, which is a lot of the defense you'll see in the playoffs. I've seen Devin Booker when Chris Paul's out, he's fine stepping into a playmaking role and 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 just you know scoring his 25 the same way, but instead of four assists or five assists, tonight he has seven. You know, little things like that. Mikhail Bridges is taking a step. Cam Johnson looks like Mikhail Bridges' twin in terms of efficiency and production. Um, guys like Landry Shamit, Aaron Holiday, all the, they're, they're just such a deep team, man. And, and like you said, it's, it's kind of hard to pick out the flash and the zest, but you don't need that when you're winning all these, all these games, do you? No, you certainly don't. It, it, the title does not go to the team with the most highlight plays. <laughs> um, I, I certainly think that some of that trepidation about the way things played out last year has spilled over to this season, like you mentioned. A lot of people want to, I don't want to say belittle, but to some extent belittle what the Suns achieved last year because of the road that they took to get there. Yeah. And that has 
made some maybe unfair biases against them from the start of the season. Mm-hmm. And maybe that was be somewhat fair at the beginning, but at this point, this deep into the year with the Suns out this far ahead of the pack, that's no longer a fair thought process. You have to look at what's happening in front of you here. And what's happening is the Phoenix Suns are a very, very, very good basketball team. Yeah. Um, so as we move on a little bit, um, I know we've watched them a fair bit. They've been on national TV a little bit more, rightfully so. Um, what is your favorite thing um, when you watch Phoenix? Like, what's, what are some of the things that you just really enjoy about this team? Yeah, um, my favorite thing right now is just watching Bridges shut people down. Mm. That guy, that guy's arms go on forever. His footwork is so good, and it's fantastic. He is currently fourth in Defensive Player of the Year odds at plus one eight or at plus eight hundred. That is only behind Bam, Rudy, and Giannis. Um, it's Right on Giannis's tail, it's a good bit behind Bam and Rudy. I don't think he'll actually win, but in today's day and age, for a wing player to even be in that conversation is pretty spectacular, and this young man is very deserving of that. Yeah. Yeah, I watch him, and there's always the phrase that gets thrown around, like, this guy can guard one through five. This guy can – I don't think he's a one through five guy, but I think one through three – he can shut in any smaller fours. in smaller fours. He can shut those guys water off. Like, I think he's actually one of those defenders too. And I put him in that like Tybal category where they do better with the shiftier people rather than the guys who are just big Kawhi Leonard, LeBron, bit those big wings. But in terms of just hanging with the left to right movement of like a Stephen Curry, um, as we've seen in the three matchups uh, that Phoenix has played Golden State, he's given Curry a lot of trouble. Um, some people will say that's just Steph missing shots. I tend to think that he's taking a lot harder shots because Mikael Bridges is making him go into his second and third counter move. Um, you look at him on guys like John Morant, he's able to give him an extra step that most defenders wouldn't because he's 6'8", and like you mentioned, his arms go on forever. Um, so he can make up with uh, he can make up a little bit of that quickness deficit, which is superior length. Um, and like you said, those are the two biggest matchups, in my opinion, for them. If they were to not make it, it would be a Memphis or a Golden State. And the fact that you have someone that qualified to where you feel comfortable leaving them on an island for certain possessions. I- I'm with you right there, man. He's so much fun to watch defensively. Yeah, absolutely. The the things he does on those guys could end up being a, a big point of how the West shakes out. Because like you said, those, those are certainly their two biggest threats in the West. Talk to me about some of your favorite things when you watch them play, though. Yeah, man. I I, I have a nerd answer, and then I have like a, you know, like a, a answer for uh, the more casual guy. So the more casual answer for me is I just like how hard they play every night. Like they, they never seem to have that, you know, we always talk about that Tuesday night game in Detroit or that Thursday night against Orlando. They don't have those. They, they might lose a game, but it's never for lack of going after the 50, 50 balls, or it's never a lack of execution that night. They always play very hard. They're very detailed in a, in a following their assignment. And to me, that comes from guys like Jay Crowder. Like, I, 
I'm not a big fan of Jay Crowder as a basketball player, but he is someone who is never going to make a mistake defensively. He's going to be in the right position. He's going to give you everything he's got. Um, Chris Paul, their leader, obviously it trickles down from him. But even guys they bring in, like they just buy in right away. JaVale McGee has been a very integral part of that setting the tone of playing hard every night. Even a guy like Bismack Biombo, who was out of the league pretty much um, last year, he, he, he's looking like Toronto Bismack, you know, the guy that got paid all that money. Um, so that's kind of my generic answer is, is just how yeah. hard they play. In terms of the the more like... Let me cut in for a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, just, just a perfect example of exactly what you're talking about is this game tonight. Mm-hmm. It is literally a Wednesday night game in Minnesota, Minnesota when they have already basically run away with the one seed and they are down in the fourth quarter. It would be so easy to just shrug your shoulders and ride that one out. But yeah. this team says, nope, that is not us. That's not what we're built on. We're playing hard. We're coming after it. And we're storming back in the fourth quarter to win the game. Yeah. And then the, the more nerdy, the more like nuanced answer for me is, I really love the different ways they get into their pick and roll game. Um, so the most common pick and roll sequence they, they tend to run is that Spain pick and roll or that stack that we've talked about before where uh, Chris Paul, let's just say, has the ball at the top of the key. DeAndre Aiden sets a screen for Chris Paul. And then there's a third guy involved. Most of the times with them, it's Booker or it's Cam Johnson. And what he does is he sets a back pick on DeAndre Ayton's man as DeAndre Ayton rolls to the rim. And after setting that back pick, he flares up to the top of the key. And the play is is generally just there to A, create a easier lane for Ayton to roll to the rim, but B, also to make a lot of confusion. There's a lot of things going on in a tight space. And a lot of times what happens is the guy setting the back pick ends up with a wide open three. So teams have caught on a little bit this year uh, in terms of switching that Spain pick and roll. So what they do now is they'll have a guard set the first screen and then have Aiden back pick. And it's it's been really interesting to watch um, the little wrinkles that Monty Williams has created because after Aiden back picks, he doesn't flare out to the three point line. Normally he gets a switch. All of a sudden he has a small guy on him. And he'll just stand right at the elbow, catch the ball, they clear aside for him, and then he's able to go to work on a small guard. Um, I've, I've really liked those little tweaks that they've done. They, they're still running their favorite action. They're just switching up the personnel a little bit. And to me, man, like anytime you can be creative but still do what you want to do, like I, I'm a huge fan of, of, of adding little wrinkles and little counters to, to, uh, to things that that's, that is what you want to do, you know what I mean? Yeah, man, little things like that, I feel like are forcing Monty Williams into the discussion of being among the better coaches in the NBA. Monty Williams has them playing fantastic defense, fantastic rotations, everybody's on the same page, and then has little things like that, because we know how heavily they relied on those Spain pick and rolls in the past. Mm -hmm. And you can't just do one thing forever in the NBA. Teams are going to adjust to it eventually. And Monty Williams was just ready with these counter adjustments for it. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, man. It, I had him like highlighted here in my notes in terms of just like how we talked in the last episode about Spolstra being worth five to six points in a game. 
uh, especially against the Eastern Conference coaches that are like his biggest contenders. I think the same thing could be said about uh, Monty Williams, maybe not five to six points, maybe a possession. But when I look at him stacked up against some of the coaches that he's going to have to go through, Monty Williams, Jason Kidd, if you're a fan of the Mavericks, we're going to give that to Monty. Monty Williams, Steve Kerr, closer, but I think I'd still lean Monty. Monty Williams, Taylor Jenkins. Taylor Jenkins, I think, is a great coach. Need to see it in the playoffs. I'm going to give that to Monty. So, like, in that sort of sense, that's that's just one more strength that you can add to this already strong team. It's like they also have the best coach in the uh, in that sort of, like, contender range. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so the I, Steve Kerr one is close. The Steve one, like the, the, Steve the other two, close. I think, are pretty clear, at least until those guys prove something in the playoffs. Like you said, I'm a big Taylor Jenkins fan, but you, you got to show it in, in the playoffs first. Yeah. So we've done our waxing poetic on this team. Um, it, it, and this last part is going to be hard because it was hard to find anything really wrong with Phoenix in terms of causes for concern or things that they might struggle with in a playoff matchup, but if you were able to find any, Adam, what what are some of the things that cause you to to pause when when watching them? Yeah, this is gonna be real nitpicky, like you said. This was tough, tough, tough to dive into this on the notes just because they're so complete. Phoenix is so complete. It's so hard to find anything at all to complain about with these guys. The best that I've got is that they aren't a great rebounding team. They are, 22nd in rebounds per 100 possessions with 44 per 100 possessions. And they're giving up 45.7 per 100 possessions. So on a per 100 possession basis, they are losing the rebounding battle by 1.7. That doesn't seem to be as important as it used to be. The Oklahoma City Thunder, the best rebounding team in the league, and they're trash. (laughs) But I still kind of have this old school mentality where like defense and rebounding are everything. And they're not necessarily great in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm with you, bro. I don't have a lot. Uh, One of the ones that was was just kind of the low-hanging fruit was, like, Chris Paul. Like, I know he's supposed to be scheduled to come back soon, but there's always that that black cloud looming around him in the playoffs of, oh, man, is he going to have another freak injury or is his body going to break down? Um, and the, the, the couple Suns fans in my life have been telling me like, hey, we got out the way early. It happened before the playoffs. It's the best thing that could happen to us because he'll he'll be rejuvenated, re-energized going into the uh, into the playoffs this year, as opposed to breaking down in them. Um, so that was kind of the low hanging fruit for me. And the other thing was. It, it's it's a, like, again, another very small, small nitpick, but. I do think a fully functional, fully healthy Golden State is still a a matchup problem for for them. Not in the sense that they couldn't find a solution, but I think that's the the one team that could look them eye to eye and be like, you guys haven't done what we've done. You know what I mean? I look at a Memphis, I, I, I love Memphis and I love the dogs they have on their team. But they haven't done what Phoenix has done in terms of, like, as a unit, get to a final. Uh, The Mavericks, same thing. Utah, same thing. Um, I think Golden State, they have that same sort of moxie where they can look eye to eye with Phoenix and be like, oh, no, we've done this together as a collective. Steph, Clay, Draymond, 
Jordan Poole hasn't, but he doesn't strike me as a guy who would back down from any sort of high leverage moment. Um, and then that finding that fifth guy is tough for Golden State, but, you know, finding that small lineup, whether it's Iguodala coming back, whether it's a Kaminga, whatever it might be, um, Steve Kerr in the fold, they just have that sort of that moxie about them to where they're like, hey, man, we've been here before. We're two and one against you guys this season. Um, and, and and you guys don't present the same fear factor that you might do to other teams. It, and that, that's a small nitpick, but man, that's really all I have with them, man. Yeah, for as much as I love Memphis, I do think it's Phoenix and Golden State that are on a collision course here for the Western Conference Finals. Okay. And not only does Golden State have that ability to say they've been there and done that and, and come in with that experience, Golden State starts and stops with John Moran with Dallas everything starts and stops with Luca you look at Golden State you look at Phoenix these guys have Booker and Chris Paul they have Steph and Clay they have what Draymond does as a creator they have Jordan Poole Phoenix has DeAndre Ayton who's actually second on their team in scoring those are the two teams that have plan a b c d and e and it's gonna it's gonna result in that Western Conference final showdown I really do hope so, man, because I'm scared for Golden State, just to go a little bit off off the Phoenix topic. I'm scared for Golden State in the sense of Steph Curry with a foot injury. Foot injuries scare me. Um, And he, I don't think, based on his timetable, would have any ramp up before the playoffs. And if they're in like a 3-6, if they're in like a 3-6 matchup with like Denver, like I think that's a nightmare situation for them. to try and ease Steph Curry back in, like to having to fight over screens from Jokic and things of that nature. Like that's gotta be tough, but, but yeah, man, I, I think I tend to agree with you and not to say I wouldn't pick Phoenix in a series like that, man, because this year in the crunch, they've been fantastic. Um, Chris Paul, best plus minus in crunch time this year. D books, top five, Mikhail Bridges is top five. Like it's, it's ridiculous how, 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 how well oiled they are, man. Um, the, the last thing I would say in terms of just little nitpicky stuff is I talked about the pick and roll game and things of that nature. Let's say Aiden was to get in a foul trouble. Like I still don't really love their depth behind him. I love JaVale McGee as a person. He's a three-time champion. He's done his damn thing, but I, I think that's a matchup you can exploit. Same with Bismack Biombo. I'm happy for the renaissance of his career, but I also think Golden State would bite your hand off if they're like, hey, you get 20 minutes of Bismack tonight. Like They'd be like, bet, we'll sign up for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, my, my other note that I had written down here was that I'm not in love with their depth. And that's not to say that their depth is terrible because, again, we're, we're really nitpicking things here. Yeah, I, I like to think when it, it gets down to the playoffs and rotations start getting cut down, it's going to be the five starters. It's going to be Cam Johnson. It's going to be campaign. It's going to be a little bit of JaVale to spell DeAndre Ayton here and there. And that might be it. Maybe a little bit of Shamit or maybe a little bit of Tory Craig mixed in. Yeah. Um, I think I think you can plug Cam Johnson right in there and, and not miss a beat. Those other two guys, I worry about a little bit, though. Like you said, Golden State will be feasting at the idea of going at JaVale for 20 minutes a game. 
Um, campaign kind of showed out in last year's playoffs. It really surprised yeah. me. But this is also still a guy that was almost out of the league a couple years ago. <laughs> he's putting up 11 points a game on, like, horrendous efficiency this year. He's barely maintaining 40% from the floor. And, you know, I don't know. We're, we're nitpicking here. We're nitpicking here. Yeah. <laughs> I just always laugh when I hear campaign's name, bro, because that man was in China and – Ooh, it was looking dark for campaign, man. <laughs> so I just always laugh when I hear his name. Yeah, dude came back though. So shout out to him for that. Shout out, shout out to campaign. After I saw crap on him. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's all we have uh, for the Phoenix Suns. Um, we're going to take a quick break here and get into you guys' favorite segment. Um, we need a name for that, by the way. But uh, we do. We should. Uh, we should put that out to everybody. So yeah. Y'all's name suggestions. The best I can come up with is Twenty Five Club, which is like super boring and lame. So <laughs> I'm sure somebody out there is creative and and has something for it. All right. Yep. So we'll do that right after this. So we're back with our as of yet unnamed <laughs> trivia segment to close the show out. Uh, if you guys missed last episode, this is a new thing that we're doing at the end of the show. I'm going to throw out three names here. Um, y'all are going to try to tell me, has this player ever averaged 25 points a game for a season? Uh, we're quizzing Brandon here. He went two and one on our inaugural yes, um, rendition of this, which featured all three players who had won a previous MVP award. That was a fun one. Uh, today, our theme is three-point shooters. These are all guys who kind of molded their entire career around shooting the three ball. We'll start off with a guy we talked about a little bit here tonight, just a tad. He's a five-time All-Star. He's made two All-NBA teams. He has won three championship rings, and he once scored 60 points in just 29 minutes. He gets overshadowed a little bit by his fellow Splash brother, Seth Curry. But nonetheless, Clay Thompson is one of the all-time great shooters. He lights up the scoreboard from time to time. Brandon, has he ever averaged 25 points a game over the course of an entire season? This is a really good one, man, because like you said, sometimes, not sometimes, he, he is overshadowed by the brilliance of his running mate, Steph Curry. Um the reason I would lean no, just off the top, like, I'm thinking, did he put up enough shots a game to where he, you know what I'm saying? Like, the efficiencies were always there, but did he get up enough over a course of a season? If it, if he did, man, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it was that 73-9 team, 2016, because he didn't, he couldn't have done it with Durant. That would have been too late. And I don't think 15, he was quite on the map there. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. He hasn't. You are correct on Clay Thompson. Um, he actually didn't come ever that close. Mm. He got over 22 twice. He put up 22.1 in 15-16. And he put up 22.3 in 16-17, which was interesting to me that his actual highest scoring number was with KD. Was with KD. I, yeah. I also, when I was looking into this, thought for sure it would have been pre-KD. All right. One, one for one to start off. There you go. There we go. Rolling on here. We have a Hall of Famer, a 10-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA player, 
two-time NBA champion. He has a career full of clutch shots, including a game six corner three in the finals that is one of the greatest shots ever hit in NBA history. This is, of course, Ray Allen doing that to the San Antonio Spurs with the Heat, saving LeBron and Ray. Did Ray Allen ever put up 25 a game? Okay, so for our younger listeners, Ray Allen did not only play for the Celtics and the Heat, <laughs> um, he also made his name with the Milwaukee Bucks. So I'm thinking if it and ever happened. And the Sonics, sorry, yep. Um, so I'm thinking if it ever happened, it was with those two teams. Um, because yeah, towards the later part of his career, no way. So I'm gonna say, man, I'm gonna say yes. I'm going to say, and I'll even give you a little bonus. I'm going to say he did it more than one time. Okay, look at you. Look at is, you. That, is that it? Uh, so, so our younger listeners not only going to remember him from Boston and Miami, they're going to they're gonna remember him just as a catch-and-shoot three-point bomber. Yeah. Young Ray Allen was, was a scorer, man. A bucket. Young Ray Allen got buckets. He, he wasn't just a three-point shooter. Yes, that was a big part of his game. Uh, his last two years in Seattle, both of those two years, he nice. knocked 25. He had 25.1 in 05-06, 26.4 in 06-07, and then got traded to Boston and immediately dropped down to 17.4. Mm. But um, that definitely was a bucket in his younger days. Jesus Shuttlesworth. Some old highlights for some of you guys, some of those Sonics highlights. Definitely. I might not even know who the Seattle Supersonics are. But <laughs> All right, last but not least, we have another Hall of Famer. We have a five-time All-Star, a three-time All-NBA player, uh, another guy full of, full of clutch shots in his career, most notably throwing down with the New York Knicks in the playoffs, put up eight, not eight points in nine seconds to bring a game back once upon a time, screaming at Spike Lee along the way. This is uh, Reggie Miller. Some of those things I just talked about, if y'all haven't seen it, are documented in a really good 30 for 30 called Winning Time about Reggie Miller. I highly recommend that to anybody. Fantastic. Yeah. What you think? Winning Time, great. Absolutely great. Yeah. Um, as far as Reggie goes, man, so he said three-time All-NBA, which makes me feel like... Five-time All-Star. And five-time All-Star. Okay, so this is a guy I feel like a lot of the, the memories I have of Reggie were like playoff, like just being a killer, man. I don't think – I'm going to say no, and my reasoning is I don't think – like I always think he was a better version of himself the the later the season got, the deeper into the playoffs we got. So I'm going to say he never averaged 25, but I bet he probably did over like some playoff runs. You know what I mean? But in a regular season, I'm going to say no. Yeah, I'd have to look into the playoff runs to verify that. Uh, you finished three for three today. This Come on. Was even better than last time. Come on. Uh, Reggie Miller did not ever average 25 a game for a season. But in his third year in the NBA, he put up 24.6. Oh, wow. So, he was right there. Um, I was kind of surprised to find this. Reggie Miller is a, a guy in my head that I can remember being a kid and watching this dude play and him just lighting up the scoreboard. Apparently not quite to the extent that I remember, but 24.6, 
there's nothing uh, nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> oh, that no, that that's surprising to me, especially for like again for the younger listeners. You guys got to remember back then, like in his era, that was a very slow paced game. So like getting 20 then was super impressive, like because there are so much less possessions than there are now, you know. Yeah, that 24.6 was in 1989-1990. That's when we were walking it up with Mark Jackson with his butt to goal. And (laughs) we were barely getting it over with 16 left on the clock. Yeah, man, it was just a totally different sport back then altogether. That's right. He was one of the most prolific three-point shooters in the game at the time, shooting four and a half attempts a game. (laughs) In today's NBA, you get laughed at with with four and a half attempts. Yeah, like guys like Jordan Poole are getting up like five or six. And they're like, hey, man, you guys should probably take a couple more, man. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. That's that that's interesting. So three for three today, man. That's I'm proud of myself. Five for six on the on the on the season. Um yeah, man. I, I feel like with shooters too, like again, like you said, all three of these guys, very impressive in how they worked off of movement. Um were able to be efficient with their with their dribbles and, and things like that. Ray to more of an extent had more of like a, a bag to his game. Um but 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 wow, 25 and 24 even for guys who like mainly came off the ball and did most of yep. their work off ball is, is is pretty damn impressive. Yeah, good stuff from those guys. Ray Allen, Reggie Miller laid the groundwork for Steph Curry with the way they moved off the ball. So certainly fun guys to take a look back at. Yes, sir. All right, Adam. Thank you again for that, man. Three for three. I, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Um, by the time you guys hear this, it will be Thursday. I, I hope you guys have a good weekend. Um, Adam, thanks as always for doing this for with me, bro. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. All right. And we will catch you guys next time.